Back in November, I filmed a video with James Parker discussing the nuances of car setup in Assetto Corsa Competizione, and it contains some wonderful insight and some clever tricks and tips that I knew the community would love. Frustratingly, the footage became corrupted, and after being sent off for recovery, only the audio files were salvageable. After a period of reflection, I decided that this information was too useful to abandon, so I've decided to share it with the community as a podcast, here on YouTube and as part of the Talking Sim series, which is available through everywhere you can find podcasts. What follows is an in-depth discussion of some of the finer points of car setup, focusing on ACC, but much of what's said here is also appropriate to every other racing sim. Just before we jump into the detailed stuff, I'd like to introduce James, or Jimmy P as many of you know him. I met James at the Nürburgring last year. He was competing as a silver qualifier in the SRO eSport GT series and was representing his league, Redline Motorsport. In dire conditions in game, James and his teammate impressed, outpacing some of the big names and to be honest, they were unlucky not to progress further in the competition. After talking to James, his knowledge of and his ability to communicate aspects of car behavior and setup made it really clear that I'd have to rope him into some sort of collaboration. So here it is. So James, we've just been uh, discussing setups in Seto Corsa Competizione, and you made the statement that you think a setup is worth the sort of final second of lap time, and that's a that's a really good uh, sort of number. That's something we can sort of pin our understanding on. But what does it take to to get there before you start working on a setup? So Chris, how I would break it down is. Um, for anyone that is new to setups, for anyone that is wanting to extract the most out of a specific car in the game, you always start with, I would say, the default aggressive. You would probably do at least an hour's worth of running, become acclimatised to the car in its current state. Um, you would then reach a point where you feel like your limitation isn't either skill or, or car performance it is purely then down to the setup so if you feel you're nailing every braking point you feel you're nailing every apex um, and you feel the car's limitation is then with how it's set up that's when you then start developing the setup right yeah so i think that's a really really strong point for us to jump off of so the next question would be okay so you've driven this car for an hour or two hours or how long it takes you are really comfortable with it at that circuit you know how it behaves are you then taking the feedback from that driving session and trying to start working on a setup or are you just trying to build an understanding of, of how the car is behaving at certain points of say turning? Yeah, I mean, the, the biggest change you can make is the aero balance. So everyone's driving style is very different. So I could prefer an oversteering bias in my setup you might like a front end that pushes naturally because um, you want more rear stability and you, you're quicker like that. That's, so, actually, that's actually true. That is exactly <laughs> so. So what, what, you, what you want to do, first of all, is understand once you've maximised the potential of your current setup, i.e. driving style, gear, everything relating to the car minus the setup, you then break it down. So, okay, so is the car depending on what my driving style likes. You know, I like a quite an oversteery setup where I like a strong front end. So if I'm doing a base setup around, a, you know, a, a track, I say, okay, in the high load corners, which is generally where um, you can make up a lot of time, 
how how is it pushing? Is it pushing on acceleration? Is it pushing on entry? Is it pushing on um, you know power? And then you can then break it down. And generally, you'll get a good feel for where the time is lost in a the lap. There'll be there'll be always um, considerations to make. You know, you might you make one change in a setup, and it will change another corner. You know, you might be a little slower. The aim is to always have um, a bit of give and take, but the majority is the changes you make benefit you much more in the corners you struggle as opposed to the ones where you're weak. Um, so the aero balance is the biggest change you can make with that. Also, we've picked the Mercedes here because it's got an adjustable front and rear wing um, or front splitter. So this number here is obviously the big key number, your front aero variation. Now that just tells you where the pressure is being diverted. So if we stick more rear wing on, you can see that that aero variation has moved rearwards. That's minus 2.1. So as you're adding downforce to the rear and not adding it to the front, you're just generating more downforce at the back and less at the front, meaning you're going to get more understeer. Yeah, if the car was neutral to start with, pushing the aero balance backwards, it's going to increase the understeer. Absolutely. So the way that you can the way you can adjust this is 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 purely by playing with that uh, the wing levels. But then obviously you've then got ride height to take into consideration. So by adding rake to the car, you can see this in real time. It's adjusting the aero balance forward. So for someone who perhaps wants a a much more pointy car without sacrificing um, you know high load. Um, grip you would run more rake because it means you can run raw rearing which allows you more load in high speed corners but at the same time by adding rake um, you're essentially moving the aero balance forward and you're pitching the car forward um, you know almost like a plow effect that does have you know negativities around it a more rate or a higher rate car is inevitably uh, more susceptible to aero stalling so um, a, a car that is, is more reliant on its diffuser's um, underbody condition and working with the, with the rear wing. The front end is obviously much more, it's much closer to the floor. So you imagine if you're braking, the, the ability to stall the car is, is much greater uh, than if you're running it flatter. So there's always considerations to talk, uh, to talk about or to take with that. Uh, it should probably also be worthwhile pointing out that if you're ramping up the wings you've also got uh, aerodynamic efficiency to take into account as well absolutely so obviously you're kind of going to become more draggy uh, you're going to have less top speed because you're simply punching a much greater hole in the air uh, because obviously your rear end is obviously much higher up in the air the aero balance the aero, aero variation is always the first starting point you then you you know base your setup on these core values certain cars have different traits with the Audi and Lamborghini, for instance, you never want to run an aero variation that's aggressive because as the, the, the more um, aggressive setting you have, the more aero you push to the front end, the more twitchy the car's going to become. We know that the Lamborghini and the Audi are obviously very twitchy cars to begin with. So that's why you generally run it quite flat with a very or like an understeer bias setup. Yeah, and it's probably also worth mentioning uh, for those that are completely new to setups that when you're talking about changing the aero balance, that this isn't going to have a huge impact in very low speed corners where the aero isn't really 
working as hard as mechanical grippers. No, so as obviously um, with with simple principles, aero needs uh, wings need air airflow to work. As the speed drops, you're pushing a much smaller hole in the air, and and eventually mechanical grip takes over the suspension geometry, your springs, your dampers, um, and everything like that. Obviously, in the higher speed corners, that's where the mid-engine cars struggle. You know, lift off oversteer because the aero loads suddenly drop. It's it's there where the car becomes twitchy. Obviously, in the slower speed corners, mid-engine cars naturally have a greater you know ability to turn and uh, have greater traction because the weight distribution is never to be better. Um, just naturally in a in a mid-engine car, it's why the Audi and the Lamborghini and the Ferrari, for instance. They can squirt out of first and second gear corners much better than the front engine cars. So yeah, it is always uh, when you're talking about twitchiness and oversteer, uh, when it comes to aero loads and variation, it's always the high speed corners. We've talked about aero loads in some of the mid and high speed corners, but what sort of car behaviour in the slow speed corners would you be looking to cure and how would you start to do that? So. Let's take the Mercedes as an example. It's the car I drive in the league. It's something I've had a lot of experience with. And obviously a lot of other drivers out there will be favouring the Mercedes. It's a popular car. The, uh, the Mercedes has an understeery balance as a starting point. So the setup is always geared around changing that. You've, you've got to get the car to be pointy on slow speed corners where the weight, you know, you've got to control the weight up the front. But at the same time, it has poor traction on the rear. So it's a, it's a balancing act between how aggressive do you go to make the car pointy without compromising rear traction. Now, one of the biggest things that you can adjust that a lot of people you know, overlook sometimes is the preload differential. Now, the more aggressive this number is, the earlier it will essentially lock up. So, for example, in a quali run, when the tyres are fresh, you've got no fuel on board, the, the car, the car's alive. I generally find that if you set these the, the preloaded differential too aggressive, in slower speed corners or longer radius corners, especially, when you get back on the power, you'll actually get power on understeer because the two wheels are getting forced to, to drive together and it's pushing the car, like plow-like effect. So this the the, the preload diff is essential to how you drive the car and it's one of the biggest tools you can have because essentially the lower the, the value the more it'll allow the inside wheel to, to, to turn as opposed to or the, the outside wheel to turn as opposed to the, the inside wheel it will lock up less aggressively and later it means that in a slow speed corner you can pin the throttle and not suffer snap oversteer where the tires especially when they're worn um, uh, you know, lock up, and that's when you'll have to have fight the the aggressive oversteer moments. This is obviously a very driving style orientated setup. Um, you know, some drivers, you know, they'll go into a slow speed corner, and they'll look to coast. They'll use they'll use the mechanical grip they've got to load up the car, and then straighten it before they apply the throttle. Other drivers like myself, and I'm a, I'm a it's one of my key traits. I like to, to get the car in early 
and then use the throttle to steer it almost. And obviously we'll touch on brake balance and, and um, anti-roll bars later, but uh, small corrections in the diff will give you a very different behavior. Uh, and that's something that someone will have to work out themselves if they prefer more rear locking or less rear locking under power. So uh, you've actually got a similar approach to me. I'm really uh, keen to play with the diff quite early in the setup because it's, it, it's quite a, a quick, easy way to make a, a quite impactful change in the car. Uh, a lot of other people do like to start by changing things like the actual suspension geometry early on. Uh, is, is there a reason you don't favour doing that? Um, well, it's very difficult because different tracks will always demand different, different, you know, um, different challenges of the car. You know, there'll always be tracks that suit a car more than others. You know, with the with the Mercedes. Um, because I like to run the car at quite a high rate to take advantage of a greater wing angle, inevitably you need to make the spring rate quite, you know, quite, you know, a lot stiffer. Because at the end of the day, if you can imagine, if the car is is raked highly and you're having to drop the front end to to compensate for the aero variation, as you hit the brake pedal, if you run really soft springs and soft uh, bump stops, the thing's going to bottom out. So, and that's when you're gonna get your stalling effect. And this is where the, um, the compromise has to come. If you run stiffer spring rates, you're gonna, you know, curb behavior. Um, it's gonna be, you know, much more aggressive. It's gonna be much more nervous over curbs. Stuff like bumps, you know, very bumpy tracks, undulations in the road, and even things like tire behavior. Generally, if you run stiffer springs, uh, the consensus is, you know, generally you get more understeer especially on worn tyres. So uh, suspension geometry I'd always change together with dampers and always um, after I've played with bars, anti-roll bars and diff and variation first. Uh, I think I'll just jump in at this point to, uh, to plug my, uh, my series of uh, setup guide videos. So if, if any of that sounds like, like a foreign language to you and hell it even does to me to some extent and I, I produced a video that I've done this stuff. Uh, it's, it, it is complex stuff and it takes a while to learn. But uh, I've got a playlist of 13 or 12, I forget how many I've watched videos. them, yeah. <laughs> uh, videos where I talk through uh, all of these things in really fine detail, explaining them separately and how they all interact. So if this is all a bit, bit advanced at this stage, then go and check that out. Absolutely, and uh, at the end of the day, I started as a complete novice. You know, the 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 hour I I I couldn't count the hours that I've invested in in learning and reading, and it really does give you the last you know temps that you you can extract out of a car that can then you know push yourself up the grid. Um, you know, it's such a pivotal part of the game, and it's why the game I believe is so good because without a good dialed-in setup, you're not going to be as quick, and it and and without you know many sims out there you can you can be just as quick generally with a quickly breathed on setup in most sims uh, with acc it's paramount yeah there's a lot it's a sim where there's a lot of detail in it yes and and, and the fine fine details do matter uh that being said i'm, I'm gonna mildly disagree uh with something you said there just by saying suggesting that i think the core setups in acc are some of the best in any racing so I don't think that's disagreeing with you no. but if you're not there with the driving it's not worth it's not worth worrying about that final second because you're going to find far more spending time investing it on in your driving skills consistency so. yeah if you're not consistent in an hour-long race for example it doesn't matter how good your setup is 
it's not going to give you the time. Um, if you do, for example, one banzai incredible lap with a really good setup, but then spend the next six laps making mistakes, <laughs> that time that you've gained doing that incredible lap is all negated. So th this uh, that caveat is there. You know, you need to be able to be consistent and do a race stint, nailing every lap before you can really feel the, the benefits of a good setup. Yeah, very much. Okay, well, why don't we go through the sort of remaining setup screens sort of linearly and we'll just talk through some of the aspects. So let's, let's start off with the tyres. Tyres, okie dokie. So with this, 28 degrees or 28 PSI is generally the favoured um, the favoured pressure, you know, between 27 and 28 uh, on a dry race. That's the hot, hot pressures. Yes, hot pressures, yeah, once, once they're up to temperature. Um, so you, depending on the track you'll run asymmetric pressures because obviously some tracks will have more left-handers than right-handers so just to just explain that you mean yes yeah, so um so generally for example on a uh, like on a clockwise circuit you're going to have many more left-handed corners obviously so generally you want to run your left-hand side pressures slightly lower because they're going to be worked harder they're going to be uh, getting up to temperature quicker so to even them out, and obviously that is the golden rule, you want your temperatures to be even across all four corners, um, you need to set that up before you leave the pits. Anything about toe camber and caster? Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, it's a difficult area. It it's is. really car specific and um, circuit specific. Yeah, I mean, driving style as well. Generally, you always run negative toe on the front. Um, you, you know, you want you want the tires pointing inwards. Uh, it gives you the response that you need. It's a very small number on the Mercedes, actually, minus 0.4. Yeah, I mean, I normally my go-to is normally about 0.14. Um, some people like a lazy turning, and I can get that sometimes. If someone wants to be quite smooth with their inputs and load the car up progressively, they're going to naturally want to run less toe because the initial response with the steering wheel is going to be less. So I prefer to be quite aggressive on the turning. So an aggressive toe on the front helps me because I can get the car pointed in, you know, and, and feel more positive on the steering wheel. Rear toe is quite important um, for a lot of drivers. Uh, essentially, it boils down to stability, especially on turning and over curbs. It has its advantages and disadvantages. Generally, the greater number, the more stability you have uh, mid-corner at the cost of responsiveness. And the higher the toe value, the lower the straight line speed. Because if you imagine if you're pointing your, your tires out, you know, toe out, you're having more scrub as you're driving down the road. So the, 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 the closer you can get them to neutral, the faster you're going to be. So generally with the Mercedes, um, I tend to stick between 0 0.6 or 0 0.06 and 0 0.1. Now the caveat of that is other cars like the Audi and the Lamborghini, for instance, they really rely on rear toe for stability. So you would generally see figures of in excess of 0 0.2 uh, all the way up to 0 0.3 in extreme cases. Generally in the wet as well, because obviously we haven't touched on the wet, uh, you'll generally run more rear toe in the wet conditions as well, because um, obviously that gives you the stability in, in tricky conditions. Camber, well, generally, with tire, I mean, this relates to tyre temperatures now. Um, obviously, Assetto Corsa works across three tyre points, the inside, the middle, and the outside. Generally, a 10 degrees swing across all three sets is what you want. So, obviously, the more aggressive camber you run, 
the hotter the inside of the tyre is going to so get. So you say a variation of between, say, 88 and 98 degrees across from the inside yes. to the outside and your of the tyre is fine. And your hottest is, is going to be on the inside because, obviously, um, under high-low conditions, as the car rolls, the tyre the is going to flatten out with the camber. Um, that's what you want. However, when the car's not under load, the tyres are then going to go sit back to how they were, negative camber. So these inside shoulders are just going to get hotter and hotter whilst the outside shoulders are obviously, you know, essentially freewheeling. Um, so that's, that's where you've got to play around. Um, and generally the camber settings and the default setups are yes, pretty much there in my Yes, um, I, I, would, I would agree with that. Um, it depends on how many high low, I mean, for example, like Catalonia, where you have, you know, turn three, turn eight, they're very high low corners. You'll run more camber on the left hand side than the right hand side, for example. But you want to be quite aggressive on the camber because the more contact patch you have around those high low corners, the more grip it's going to generate. So by being too lenient or too uh, not aggressive enough on the camber, especially on the front end, it's only going to cost you lap time. However, Obviously, your tyre temperatures are going to be much more manageable over a, a stint. But yeah, 10 degrees across the three the three faces of the tyre is generally a, a, a considered a good, um, happy medium. Cool. Well, uh, let's move on to electronics then. A lot of this is driving style specific. Absolutely. And also stint specific. You know, on a quality lap with fresh tyres and an empty car, you are going to run much less TC than on worn tyres, you know, um, at the end of a stint. Uh, after you've done an hour's worth of racing or also on full tanks you know uh, and it's the same with abs you know people break differently inevitably the rule of thumb is the more the higher the abs you run the longer the braking distance however the the less risk you have of flat spotting tires and also what i've i i found out pretty early on is it also dramatically um varies how aggressively you can trail brake especially with certain cars. So with the ABS setting, if you feel confident enough to cadence brake properly and to uh, modulate the brake pressure as, your, as the load's coming off the, off the car into a tight corner, if you run a more aggressive ABS setting, you can effectively trail brake much better. However, that comes at a cost because you're gonna increase your tire wear if you haven't got that, that, that skill or the, the, the touch that you need. Um, and obviously on heavier tanks, you're going to be running more ABS to be safe anyway. Um, yeah, that's, that, that's good stuff. And just uh, just let's move on very quickly. Get the uh, engine map stuff is pretty much just fuel saving, isn't it? Yes. I mean, the, the Merc has three, um, not a wet, uh, a wet map. Cars like the Porsche GT3 have quali and race maps and wet maps. And the Audi has wet and dry maps, same with the, the Ferrari. Sage is much more simple. Um, also, as we touched on in the video um, we've, we've done, the Mercedes is a very thirsty car. Um, so generally in a long stint, depending on the track, um, you will probably need to use ECU map two occasionally. Um, it's only a four horsepower difference, um, but it allows you to fuel save. The difference in maps is negligible. I personally find it's between two, two and a half temps uh, a lap on a proper race stint, and that is your safety car map. So yeah, that every car has that. There's no need to use that in the game. Um, but yeah, they are essentially just for fuel fuel management. Okay, 
Okay, so let's start talking about some of the, uh, the suspension stuff that impacts mechanical grip of the car. Yes, so the first thing to really consider is the body control, and obviously part of that is your anti-roll bars. It is inevitable that as a car accelerates, brakes and corners, it's going to roll. And obviously the best possible way to control that is through your bars. Um, anti-roll bars are quite, you know, driver, um, driver specific because it really does change the way a car behaves. Um, if you like they're a, a good, uh, yeah, they're a good uh, tweaking tool just to change, particularly turn end balance. Absolutely. If you want to run a, you know, if you like a car that understeers more, you'd generally run more anti-roll bar at the front and less at the rear. If you would rather a car that has, you know, uh, a slight oversteer bias or something that you know you want the car to rotate freely in the in the mid corner, you would run the front anti-roll bar less than the rear because you want the the the, the front to be a bit more compliant and the rear to rotate more. And that's a really key concept actually is that you're not impacting the front of the car or the back of the car you're altering the balance of grip between the front and the back of the car absolutely and balance is really the key term there. exactly so you're you're basically just uh telling the car how much roll you want want it to have and um you know a softer bar will allow more roll than um than a than a, a t like a firmer bar so this 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 kind of tweak is excellent for quality quality simulations where you know you do one qualifying run and you think oh hang on i've lost three temps here because um in some of the slower corners i'm not getting enough rotation so you can just swap the bars over or just you know raise the rear anti-roll bar for example and just get a bit more um, but you can play around with that for a long, 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 long time. Yeah, it's something I've I've been known to do, uh, especially uh, I, it was suggested to me by an old uh, race race car tech was, uh, you know, if you're completely new to a car, do a complete anti-roll bar sweep. Absolutely. Or yeah. so try every value. Or uh, the other thing is try the softest, try the hardest, put it in the middle, again, just so you understand where everything is, and that can give you a really good idea of what's being impacted. If Absolutely. You, if you, especially if you're getting lost. Absolutely, and that, that you, would, you would probably attempt to change them long before you then start going to suspension geometry and dampers, because sure, yeah. so, uh, that will give you a much better feeling for how the car behaves under certain, certain conditions. Um, I mean, brake bias, this is a very interesting one because it's, it's quite car specific. You can't be aggressive, for example, with some cars you can with others. The Porsche, for instance, you can be incredibly aggressive with on the brake bias. You can run it as, you know, as, as near to the rear as you want. Um, other cars like the Audi or the Lamborghini, for instance, you can't be anywhere near as aggressive because more rear locking is just inevitably going to cause more rear instability. With the Merc, I do like to run it quite aggressive. Uh, you know, 56% is generally, uh, like 56.8 is generally where I like to sit because it helps with the weight distribution um, and weight management of the car. Just to be clear, when you're saying aggressive with the brake bias, you mean towards the rear? Towards the rear, yes. You know, inevitably, the more front bias you run, the harder it is going to be for you to not only, you know, trail brake a car whilst applying lock, but also you're, you're, you're going to have um, a front end that generally pushes more because inevitably you're pushing more brake pressure to the front. So if you're aggressive with the brake pedal, it's only going to go forwards. The, the, the further you go to the rear, obviously, the more bias you're sending to the, or more brake power you're sending to the rear. It means that you can um, be as aggressive with the brake pedal 
the downside of that is the fact that if you don't like a car that quite happily rotates under trail braking or hard stops, uh, you will struggle because it will want to it will want to overtake you. Yeah, the downside of uh, a rearward uh, brake balance is, of course, that if you're braking in high speed corners, uh, yes. the uh, the oversteer that induces on turning can be a bit hairy. Yes, I mean if you're going into a fully, um, for example, like turn eight at Barcelona, where you're you know third gear, um, sorry, up the hill, you dab the brakes. You know that that dab of brakes. You know if you're if the the bias is towards the front, you can manage the understeer. If you dab the brakes hard before you turn, pitch the car in and it's rearward, it's just going to cause you a twitchy moment. I mean, you can use that because you can modulate the brake pressure depending on, you know. But but yeah, it's it's very much driver preference. Some people will like it, some people will not. So um, it's something that you can, I mean, even in a race stint, if the tyres are getting worn, you know, you don't want to overheat your rears or you don't want to induce more rear locking or rear... Um, more oversteer, you'll just push the brake balance forward, just as the tyres wear. It's uh, before we move on from uh, brake bias. It's probably worth pointing out that uh, because of it has such an impact on on turning behaviour, it's worth remembering that this interacts with other setup changes. So, uh, you know, changing the front anti roll bar because you want to change the turning behaviour, that might be also something that's impacted by changing the brake bias to compensate. Exactly. So you can run. Uh, for example, a more aggressive front bar to induce more understeer and, and then be able to be more aggressive with the rear brake bias because the the balance that the bars are offering you outweighs the, the difference that the rear bias would, would negate. So, And you can also use the rear anti-roll bar to compensate with that. Of course, you, that only happens when you're actually on the brake. So if, you, if, exactly. you're, if you're rolling the car into corners, then it's not going to make that difference. No, it's only if you want to trail, you're looking to trail brake hard into kind of uh, medium and slow speed corners. Um, brake power, I mean, it's very diff it's difficult to judge normally. Obviously, the more brake power you have, the more efficiency you have, the more, the, you know, it's, it's obvious there that the harder the car is going to stop. However, the greater the chance of lockup and the ABS interfering. Yeah, so. I think it's probably less important in a game where every car has ABS exactly. than in, yeah. say, a Seto Corsa where it's, or, or other games where it's quite often used to tune the, the point of locking the brakes, where you know, some cars have brakes that are far, far better than the tyres are, for example. Absolutely. In a, in a modern spec GT3 car, your brake bias is going to have much more of an impact, for example, than your brake power. So your bump stops and your dampers generally work you know, together. Uh, you'll tune them depending on the car behaviour. So your bump uh, and rebound have obviously have different purposes. Uh, fast rebound, um, you'll, you'll tune for kerbs um, and your bump is generally for the road surface. Yeah, just, just to sort of explain if, if you're completely new to this, bump is uh, what happens when the suspension is being compressed under load and rebound is what's happening when the suspension is releasing from that load. And the dampers tune how quickly the suspension can move. And it's a great way of stopping oscillation in the suspension. It essentially stops the car from bouncing when it's uh, done properly and keeps the tyre in contact with the road as best as possible. Exactly. And the, the obviously, depending on what track you're at, a very smooth surface like Silverstone or Mazzano you can afford to be much firmer on your dampers because you haven't got any oscillations or nasty high curbs to worry about. Somewhere like Hungaroring 
or the um, or Circuit de Catalunya, anywhere with you know sausage curbs or raised curbs where you're going to need to tune them effectively. You know, a chicane, for example, you can gain lots of time. You know, you can generally gain lo lots of time in slow speed corners. If you can run the curbs aggressively through there, you can probably gain two or three temps. Um, the, the, the downside is obviously, the softer you run the car, generally the less responsive it is and also the more, the ch greater the chances of um, stalling the aero depending on how you've tuned your, your springs. So, um, uh, is it fair to say that the general consensus is to run uh, the cars as stiff as you can get away with with these GT3s? Especially cars? on the front end because um, the front end is, is obviously where uh, your aero balance starts. Um, if you're, imagine you're braking hard into a corner, if the car is too soft it's going to constantly hit the ground. Um, and that's where your aero is going to stall. So you've got to find a point where you can have the front ride height at a point where it won't stall out uh, when you hit the brake pedal, but that's directly linked to your dampers. So if you want to run an aggressively low car, you've got to inevitably run firmer dampers on the front because otherwise, and spring, obviously spring, spring rate as well, because otherwise the car's going to sink and that's where you're going to get the the vibration or the the, the oscillation of the vibration um, of the, of the car hitting the tarmac. So the um, the dampers are one of the fine tuning aspects that you can have with the car. Um, I mean, they're a very uh, important tool for dealing with instabilities. Uh, again, just if you if you're completely new to this, the uh, the, what in some sense is called the slow setting, so it'd be called slow bump and slow rebound. On this, it's just bump and rebound. Mm -hmm. That's the that's what happens when generally when the car is pitching rather than uh, anything else. So uh, the behaviour under braking or acceleration, uh, whereas the fast rebound and fast uh, bump are more to do with behaviour over curbs and uh, sort of aggressive changes in in track dynamics. Absolutely, because if you imagine if you hit a curb. The velocity, the force is suddenly, you know, they they uh, they spike. You know, if you hit a curb, the damper has got to um, has got to absorb that as best you can. Now, a firmer firmer damper is not going to is not going to sustain that load in the same way that a softer damper would. And obviously, as you say, with the with the with the bump, you know, it's all about the pitching and the yawing. As you can imagine, the softer it is. The more that car is going to to squat um, or not, uh, and obviously in some cases on a bumpy circuit, you want it to squat more to absorb the bump. A harsher car is going to um, is is going to almost um, crash over the bumps, and that will cause you obviously traction issues. So we've just been talking about how suspension setup also has an impact on the aerodynamic efficiency of a car, and that is probably a pretty decent segue to start talking about aerodynamic balance. Yes, and inevitably, Chris, that is, in essence, the most important aspect of your setup because that will make the greatest difference to how a car behaves. A car with a greatly negative front aero variation will behave completely differently to one that is, has got a, a much you know, more forward variation. It's very car-specific. Um, you know, some cars, you can't get away with running too aggressively in terms of front aero variation stuff like the mid-engine cars because at the end of the day the, the, with the rake you have to run the mid-engine cars the, the, the more forward you go the more twitchy the car becomes 
So this, this basically just controls your entire car behavior. Now, I do believe the Mercedes is the only car with a front splitter that's adjustable. An adjustable splitter. Yes. So generally, I like to max this out anyway because I like a, a positive front end and you can then use the, the rake and the rear wing to balance that out. And it has very negligible effects on straight line speed. Yeah, right? it's, it, has, it, it has no drag, essentially, the front splitter, uh, compared to obviously a big big fat rear wing on the on the on the boot so you can afford to be pretty aggressive with this and it not cause you too much lap time in a straight line but but this this controls your entire car behavior um and it's totally driving style dependent you know i like quite a point like quite a pointy car so i'll look to have quite an aggressive front aero variation and i don't know about you chris how you like to have your uh, in the high speed stuff I, I don't mind a tiny bit of understeer just to just keep things safe but i think that is that's an important point to touch on again if you're quite new to this that this aero balance that we're talking about really only has an impact in the mid and high speed corners so the stuff we've been talking about that bef uh, about before has more of an impact in the lower speed stuff Absolutely. So as the forces build on a car, you know, downforce is generated through the airflow over over the car that can only build when speed is built. So this is where you tweak your kind of your, your fast um, corner balance, you know, places like Maggots and Beckett's at Silverstone, uh, Turn 8 at Barcelona, uh, Scene Corner even at Paul Ricard, you know. Um, and obviously Rake has a very important, you know, uh, role to play in this because as you push the aero balance um, forward by uh, increase, oh sorry, uh, as you push the aero balance rearward by increasing the rear wing, inevitably you generally have to run more rake to counteract that. So yeah, just again, just to jump in, uh, for those that don't know, rake is the sort of difference in, in ride height between the front and rear. Uh, you know, generally you run a positive rake because uh, you don't want the car taking off. And... Yeah, I mean, the certain cars, um, uh, it's this rake is very style dependent because um if you want to destroy any tendency for um for example a mid-engine car to um to, ha to suffer from snap oversteer you run the front flatter so you raise the front um that pushes the aero balance rearward that makes it much more stable with a front engine car generally you can run more rake um because you want the um the, the weight and the pendulum effect is going to happen because all the weight's in the front of the car. So you, you can run more aggressively to, to have a more pointy front end uh, in the higher low corners, uh, which will give you, you know, more confidence and more grip. So you, you've talked about uh, running the splitter as high as you can, which I think on most cars where they've got a fixed splitter, it is basically as high as it can go anyway. Uh, and then finding the right balance with the rear wing. There is another aspect to, uh, to the uh, aerodynamic side of things, which is as you increase uh, the rear wing and you increase the rake, you also increase the drag, which limits top uh, top speed. So is there a balancing act that needs to be performed there? Absolutely. So um, obviously in a perfect world, you would want both that can't happen on a race car and inevitably as you run uh, more wing and more rake you're creating a, a much bigger surface area of the car so ideally on a higher downforce track where there's not a lot of straights you can get away with running as much wing as you physically can balancing out with the rake on a track like monza for example that you know you want to run pretty flat and with no wing because you want to go into the files and delete the wing yeah, zero wing if you <laughs> yeah. can no wing um so it's very track specific there's always a balance there's always a balancing act people will find that 
um, with their own tests because you'll find a, a point in your setup where be as quick as you physically can, but you might lose two temps down a straight. You've now got to figure out how you can't lose the two temps in the corners, but gain that time back. And it's that's where you've got to find the optimum, optimum balance. There, there's a, an interesting strategic game to be played there. We've seen during the Formula One in the last half of this year how the Ferraris are really, really very fast on the straights, uh, but under race conditions are actually not quicker than the Mercedes, but Mercedes keep getting stuck behind them. So it's all very well and good being quick in the corners, but if you, if you don't have the uh, straight line speed to actually impact and overtake, then you're stuck. Absolutely, and we even saw that at the SRE Sports event recently with, with the Bentley obviously fending off the Ferrari for, for almost the entire race um, with Brzezinski fighting off to Nizza. The, you know, the Ferrari is a case in point. You know, you, it's just one big aero platform, the, the, the 488. It's a fantastic car in the corners, but with its BOP it, it, on its engine, it has atrocious straight line speed. <laughs> so in traffic, it's a real big struggle. So you've got to, if you're any Ferrari drivers out there, you've got to find the point where you have um, the optimum in terms of peak aero grip and downforce, but you can trim the rear wing out enough that you can, in, with a toe and, um, and, and, and on the straight, you can actually overtake people. And as you say, Ferrari in, in Formula One with their, their mighty engine, um, you know, has almost counteracted Mercedes' high drag philosophy by, you know, qualifying P1 and P2 at most you know, at most races this year. Right. So I think it'd be cool to wrap things up here just by talking about some of the track-specific setup things. Absolutely. So uh, we'll go through each track one by one. Zolder is obviously a very, it's a very tight and twisty circuit and it's obviously very bumpy. So you'll, you'll be wanting to run as, as much wing as you physically can and also make the suspension supple enough to crash over the chicanes and the sausage curbs that the track has. It's a big benefit there because there's a lot of time to be had. Monza, uh, as little wing as physically possible. Uh, deleted wing if you can. The curb, well, the chicanes have obviously quite high curbs on them, um, especially Ascari. Um, and the second chicane. So depending on the car, try and run it soft if you can, um, because you know Monza is essentially three chicanes and three three straights. So if you can if you can gain time down down uh, down in the chicanes, um, it generally favours you. What can we say about Brands Hatch? The greatest circuit in the world. <laughs> it's it's a fantastic circuit. Uh, extremely bumpy. Extremely tight. You want to be as draggy as you physically can, really. The, the it's wings... almost impossible to overtake anyway, so yeah, you... trying to run a low downforce setup is uh, insane. It, you would be, you'd be absolutely crazy, wouldn't you? Um, so, so yeah, to, you've got to make the, the car supple over the bumps. Um, there's not really a lot of high-low corners in there, so you can avoid run. No, you can avoid running the car pretty stiff to take advantage of of the the mechanical grip out of the slow speed corners and run as much downforce as you can. And Silverstone is pretty much the opposite of that. It is, yeah, it's quite a, it's quite a high speed circuit. It's very flat. Um, there's, you know, the, it's, the surface is pretty smooth. Um, there are some high load corners where you want to take advantage of, of obviously your, your downforce and your wing levels. At the same time, it's quite a high speed track. So that's probably middle of the road in terms of downforce. You want to be able to be trim enough to not lose, you know, lots of temps at a time, um, especially 
on the run out of uh, maggots so and beckets. It's uh, fair to say mid aero, but you probably want to run the car quite stiff. Yes. Uh, yes, because smooth and absolutely. And you've got those high aero low corners. Yep. And then it's quite similar for poorer cars as well. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the, so absolutely. Um, I mean, the one thing you would say is anyone driving a mid-engine car, seen corner, you have to get a setup where it's stable. Um, yeah, any lift, if you run too stiff, obviously there, and a too aggressive aero variation, uh, you're going to have problems when you lift off when you're full chat at the end of um, at the Mistral Straight. Uh, Mizano is very, you know, it's a very flat track. You haven't got any kind of high curb, so a bit like Silverstone, you can run it pretty, um, pretty stiff across the board, especially in quality trim. And uh, you want, you know, pretty much max wing. Um, obviously, the corner at the end of the long back straight is again difficult for the mid-engine cars so generally you want to run a more aggressive rear aero variation and raise the front end so with spa that's a bit more complex isn't it spa is very complex there is so many aspects to spa it's so tricky you've got massive corners like Pouon, Blanchemont um oh <laughs> rouge but you, you know if you if you optimize the car for for eau rouge and radion chances are through pull, pull on your car's going to feel awful so you've got to make the car pretty pointy and um pretty pretty efficient in the fast the high speed corners but in the slower speed corners like eau rouge and the uh, sorry in the uh, uh, source and the bus stop um if you run too stiff you're going to obviously encounter issues in terms of um, traction um, especially on worn tyres yeah I mean there's so much lap time you can lose coming out of the bus, yeah. bus stop in particular you could be on an incredibly quick lap uh, and it's and it's the one point if you get a bad exit out of there you can lose half a second at least so I do almost every time <laughs> Hungary it's like a go-kart track just a bit narrow just a bit <laughs> you know it, GT3 cars even feel huge on here I personally run quite soft. You can really crash over the, the chicane in the middle of the track in, in sector two. The, the car generally feels pretty awful. Turn two um, and turn five especially, um, you know, they, there's long radius corners where you want the car to feel st stable and be responsive, but at the same time, uh, you don't want to pr promote too much understeer. So Are you running quite high uh, downforce? Like max wing. Max wing, max splitter if you've got the hand of it. And then obviously play with the balance with the rake. Nürburgring is quite tricky. How much do you have to set up for Sector 1, which has got that stupid Mercedes arena? Yes, the... It's like four second gear corners or third gear corners stitched together. The, the balance is pretty tricky because you've also obviously got the nasty final chicane with the, the big... Uh, uh, the big uh, sausage curbs so it's very very tricky Schumacher chicane as well the Schumacher S you, you know the curves are very high there as well so you've got to make a car that not only is responsive and stable in the slow corners in sector one you've also got to make it supple enough to ride the chicane in the Schumacher S and the final chicane without causing too many scary moments so you generally want to run pretty high downforce you want to have your Dampers tune your, your fast rebound probably on the softer side to cater for the curbs, just just to allow because there's so much lap time to be gained there. There's a, yeah, there's a lot of variation in the curbs as well. You've got some high curbs, you've got some big 
um, wide flat curbs, you've got sausage curbs, you it sort of throws everything at you, doesn't it? It does, it's a very tricky call, uh, very tricky track to get right really. It, it, you know, you really feel like you've accomplished something when you get the perfect lap round there. And finally, uh, my least favourite, which is Circuit de Barcelona Catalonia. Yes, um, th this is... Uh, it's a track that I don't really like either, Chris, to be honest. <laughs> I, I struggle to get a good flow around here. Um, it, it, the, the final sector has obviously been butchered, I think we yeah. can, we can yeah, agree yeah, on. The, chic the chicane they put in for the Formula 1 is, is a mistake. The, uh, the MotoGP layout's much better. Absolutely. Um, obviously, you've got lots, you know, lots of high-low corners, um, turn 3 and turn 8, especially the left-hand side tyres get mullered. You've really got to watch tyre temperatures. The car generally, you want to ride the curves quite aggressively. Um, there's a lot of lap time to be had around there, um, especially in the turn seven and eight chicane, so two turn six and seven chicane, um, where you can use the, the red and white curb on the exit to, to gauge how far you can run wide. And obviously the sausage curbs, if you can abuse them, there is lots of lap time to be had. So, um, but at the same time, you want to have the car I wouldn't say trimmed out, but you want to be, you know, you want to run a little bit of um, less aggressive uh, rear toe uh, because the, the, the main straight is pretty long. So um, you can easily lose two or three temps there if your setup isn't optimised. So I think the only thing we haven't really touched on is what happens if it rains. So you've qualified in the dry and all of it, you see there's rain on the horizon, what would you do to the setup? So it's, it's a very tricky uh, call to make and it's obviously very car specific. If you, if the forecast was right, heavy rain, um, we obviously know depending on the time multiplier that the track can get pretty wet pretty quick. General consensus is a stiff and um, aggressive car is a twitchy car in the wet. So you want to be running less diff preload, you want to be running softer springs, you want to be running soft dampers, you want to be running, uh, in terms of front and rear toe, more aggressive rear toe for stability on the entry of corners. Uh, you want to be running less front toe because you want a more stable platform on the entry to corner on the front end as well. And obviously as much wing as you can physically get away with. Would you also be pushing the balance slightly more towards understeer maybe? Absolutely because um, obviously depending on the car, um, obviously some cars are very twitchy in the dry to begin with. <laughs> you know you don't want to be uh, suddenly caught in a dry setup with the Lambo when it pour with it pouring down with rain obviously. And if you're in the Porsche in the rain do you just abandon the race there? Uh, I would just I would take the keys out, throw them into the crowd and walk away. So guys, well done for making it to the end. I really hope you are taking notes. So that's very much it for today. I hope you enjoyed the video, stroke podcast, stroke whatever this is. If you did, it would be great if you could give it a like and subscribe to the channel so you can see more content like this in the future. So all that's left to say is goodbye. Thank you for watching and enjoy the rest of your day.